You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction, written and read by Tansy Rayner Robinson. So I released another book for pre-order this week, but if you look out for Tansy Rayner Roberts, you might not know about it. This is um, a crime book under my crime writing pen name, Livia Day, and the book is called Died and Buried, Died with a Y. Uh, it's the first of a brand new series of cosy murder mysteries set in Tasmania. So for those of you who have read and enjoyed Livia's Café La Femme books. This is, I'm not going to say set in the same universe, but it's definitely set in contemporary Tasmania. Very similar tone to those books. Uh, maybe a touch cosier. And based around uh, fashion and kind of DIY clothes making and that sort of thing. But with murders, obviously. Because murder mysteries. That's Died and Buried by Livia Day. It'll be coming out middle of September. But now on with the serial. Uh, we're still on Musketeer Space. Chapter 12. Assignation at the Mecca Graveyard. We're actually doing this, said Dana, 16 minutes later, as they prepared to roll the moth out of Edoc. She had 12 separate cables plugged into the back of her helm three of them feeding threads of data directly into her brain. Thanks to Planchet's hacking skills, the moth had welcomed her as an old friend and trusted pilot. Fly, darling, come fly with me, we'll see the solar system together. Bon chance, said Aramis over the comm. She'd elected to remain in Paris. She had also slipped a pearl stunner into Dana's pocket before letting them go. I'd come along for the ride, but Porthos has her hands full, and I have a feeling I might need to save Athos from himself. Dana frowned, her hands stretching over the smooth controls. What's up with Athos? Don't get distracted, said Aramis's honey voice. I've been rescuing Athos since you were a teenager. So last week, basically. Hey, Dana protested. Fly straight, baby doll, said Aramis. The moon is the big white thing you'll spot on your scanner once you're in the air. She signed off the comms with an electronic trill. The ship felt amazing inside Dana's head. Two minutes, said Porthos in her ear. Get out while the going's good. We want to see nothing but a clean, empty space when these cam feeds hum back to life. A clean, empty space I can do, breathed Dana. Oh, she loved this ship. It felt warm beneath her hands and inside her head. Dana had learned on darts, musket class and otherwise, and could fly just about anything up to and including the very slow venturers that were used to ferry personnel back and forth between Paris and Luna Palais. She'd tried out a few fighters here and there, usually for testing purposes, but had never flown a moth fighter of this quality before. The moth was roomier than the dart, while still being streamlined enough to cut beautifully through the atmosphere. It was like steering silk. Dana barely had to think her commands, and the ship responded with a light touch. 
reflecting subtleties of thought she didn't even know that she had. Space wrapped itself around the moth and pulled them in. Luna Palais, tertiary dock, this is control, repeated the helm inside Dana's head as they made their approach. Identify. This was the hard part, but Planchet had a hack for every occasion. In this case, turning the ID chip stolen from Rosnay Cho's Engie into a profile avatar and voice simulator. This is Engineer Cretien Foy, Moth 286921, Dana said, reading off Planchet's clamshell tablet. Where's your pilot, Foy? A maintenance run only, Regulation 68A. Engineers could fly ships solo for freight or service, as long as they were travelling distances of four hours or less within charted space. Just put in a new set of power spheres, running tests in all atmospheres, Dana added on impulse. Conrad was smiling at her from the co-pilot's seat. He had a good smile. It made his eyes brighter than his hair, and that was saying something. Dana found herself captivated by his hair. It wasn't just the artificial neon blueness of it. It was the spiky texture and the silver tips to those spikes that matched the scales that ran naturally down both edges of his face. Don't embellish, he mouthed at her. She gave him a rude gesture in reply, and he laughed. We can't give you a spot for another hour, Moth 286921, said Control. Can get you a berth on secondary dock much sooner. How long will you be on the surface? Triple shift if you have it, said Dana. I can do you a double. I'll take it. Dana muted the comms and prepared for landing. Well done, Planchet. I think she's asleep, said Conrad, amused. Dana craned her neck behind her. Planchet was strapped into one of the aft seats, her head lolling against the humming wall of the ship. She deserves it, she said. Saved my bacon at least three times today. Will you make your appointment? Conrad tapped the blazing sapphire stud that he wore implanted on his ring finger, checking the time. He then leaned over Dana's arm to call up a map of the dock they were heading for and transfer it to his stud. It was odd to have someone seated beside her. She hadn't flown with a co-pilot since first-year training. Barely, he said. I'll have to hustle along the Triumph to make it. The secondary dock is closer to the palace, but I won't have the benefit of the bullet train. Dana longed to ask what it was that was so important, but she kept the thought tight inside her chest. Curiosity was a bad thing, when state secrets were concerned. Conrad touched her shoulder briefly. Thank you for helping me, Dana. If I'd a vote, you'd be in Musketeer Blues already. She ignored the compliment, which made her feel strange, and set about the landing protocols instead. As they descended through layers of airlock, Dana felt the familiar leaden weight settle in her stomach. Lunar gravity was all the worse after flying a real ship. Fly again, pleaded the moth in her head as she executed a textbook-perfect landing in the allocated booth. Her shoulders sagged. She didn't want to let go. 
Gentle hands came around to disconnect her from the helm, one cable at a time. That's Planchet's job, she protested dimly. She needs to practice. I'm sure she's capable of doing it in her sleep, said Conrad. But I'm closer. He leaned around Dana, releasing the catch on the helm. Easy does it. She felt bereft as he lifted the helm up and set it into the correct module, ready for its real owner to reclaim it. Conrad came back to Dana, feeling her pulse and staring intently into her eyes for a moment to check her pupil size. Routine checks, performed as if he did them every day. I thought you were a tailor, Dana said. I have many skills, said Conrad, and then proved it by kissing her. Dana's senses were already firing wildly after that short, glorious flight in a ship that knew how to sail the stars instead of slowly chugging through them. The loss of helm response had been like a cold bucket of ice water over her brain, and here she was heating up all over again. Conrad was warm and confident and confusing, not to mention married to her landlady. But Dana kissed him back. His warmth was more than welcome. Leaving Planchet to clear up the last of the crime scene, including record deletion, strapping an unconscious engineer Foy in the pilot seat, and faking records for Dana and herself on a civilian shuttle, Dana and Conrad made a speedy path across Lunar Palais to the palace. They caught a tram along the Boulevard Triomphe, which had been deemed of too great historic and artistic value to be spoiled by a bullet train, despite such trains having been invented long before a city was built on the moon. Conrad grew nervous and agitated as they neared the Louvre. He had not tried to kiss her again. Dana stuck with him to make sure that he made it as far as the palace without being abducted again. Rosne Cho was going to spit chips when she realised her ship had been stolen, and Dana grinned at the thought of it. She wished she could see the look on the other woman's face and wondered idly if Porthos's Ed could arrange that via security cam. This is our stop, said Conrad, and flung himself off the tram. Dana caught him up and they plunged together through a gateway into the maze of gardens that surrounded the palace. Commander Essart's mecha squad were housed on the east side of the city. Dana had got to know the palace grounds pretty well in her time here, but not the private gardens, which were indulgent and sprawling concoctions of carefully designed artifice mixed with genuine delicate flora from every habitable planet in the solar system. Each garden led into another, open air, rooms within rooms, and every one of them was spectacular. Still, it was a blur to Dana, moving at speed through it all. Finally, Conrad drew to a halt. Better clear off, he said. You shouldn't be seen at the palace. If you head back to barracks now, can you set up an alibi for yourself? Well, I can, said Dana a bit hurt. Are you sure I shouldn't see you inside? 
There are live cams all along Moonflower Walk, Conrad said, gesturing to the arch up ahead. That takes me directly into the council chambers, and no one will touch me there. I'll be fine. My prince needs me. Dana was superfluous then. Look after yourself, she said sternly. You might actually need rescuing next time. Let's not pretend you didn't rescue me, he said with that smile that lit up his face. I'd be locked up in a cell with my wife right now if you hadn't got involved. And no one wants that. Dana had forgotten about Madame Sue. What on earth were they going to do about her arrest? Watch your back, Conrad warned. You've made some dangerous enemies today, whether you know it or not. This is what I always wanted, Dana thought in a rush. Adventures and adrenaline all in service to the crown. Her heart was still beating fast from all that hurrying through the gardens. I'm dangerous too, she said. To his credit, Conrad did not laugh at her. He looked at her for a long moment and then nodded. I wouldn't want to get on your wrong side, he agreed, and strode away along Moonflower Walk. No more kissing. That was probably for the best. What followed was highly embarrassing. Dana had been so hasty in following Conrad, she failed to take note of the route they took through the private gardens of the palace. Either that or the artifice glitched and scrambled the order of the garden rooms when she wasn't looking. Maybe this was actually a cunning security system to dissuade thieves and assassins. Dana spent the next hour getting thoroughly lost. So much for returning quickly to barracks. She couldn't activate any of her studs without pinging her identity all over the palace proximity systems. And she knew for a fact that there was no detailed map of the private gardens available to any but those of highest rank. She was going to have to find her way out by old-fashioned means. If only she had a ball of string. Dana had given up on ever escaping these wretched gardens alive and had draped herself over a large ornamental rock to think through her options when she heard voices. One very familiar voice. She sat up and crept over to a wall of bright peach freedom roses, a famously ugly flower that managed to grow to twice its native size here, with all the primping and water it had been allotted. Dana peered through the web of thorns and saw, of all people, Conrad Sue walking along a marble path. He had changed his suit and showered, his blue hair forming damp spikes. His formal coat was deep blue velvet, with gold embellishments, which made him look far more like the professional courtier he was supposed to be. Still pretty. Last chance to turn back from making the biggest mistake of your life, he said clearly as he passed Dana. She thought for a moment he was addressing her, but she heard another male voice respond to his close by, though Conrad was alone. Shut up, for God's sake, said Conrad, sounding completely fed up. I sacrificed sleep in my own bed for the first time in days for this. Don't forget that. 
Dana let Conrad and his invisible companion pass, then followed quietly. She was curious about this mysterious appointment, which had agitated him so much that he burned his way out of a ship that had been his prison for days. And she had to admit to herself, she also needed him to lead her out of this maze of an ornamental garden. If there were other reasons for following the attractive athlete with blue hair, she would not admit to them, not under bribe or torture. It was getting dark, which was inconvenient. Dana was used to a shift-based lifestyle. Space was always dark, and if you wanted day, you turned the damn light on. Being subject to the whims of planetary bodies was still not something she felt was natural, even after several weeks of work shifts on Lunar Palais. But these paths were lit, with hidden lamps and glowstones, and having this much shadow did make it easier to follow without being seen. Finally, they were out of the formal gardens, walking past wreck hubs and a large private dock of royal vehicles. There were a few people working here and there, so Dana kept to the dark, shadowing Conrad. He acted as if this kind of stroll was normal for him. Where was he going? Why hustle all the way to the palace, only to turn around and leave immediately? They emerged on the east side of the palace, and now she had her bearings quite clearly. She was only a few minutes from the Mecca hub where her barracks were located. No excuse to keep following Conrad to his mysterious appointment. He headed past the practice yards and towards the tunnel that led to the Mecca graveyard. That fired up Dana's curiosity even more. When Lunar Palais was first built, hundreds of years earlier, it was considered too dangerous to have ships zooming in and out of the main dome. The original space dock was set up in a secondary smaller dome, with a tunnel connecting the two. This secondary dome was disused now, except as a storage space for abandoned tech that had not yet been pillaged for recyclable parts. Old spaceships, building units and especially run-down old Mecca clotted the area. Mecca squad Essart and their NG crew sometimes held drinking parties here, among the debris and broken-down vehicles. When a suit was smashed beyond reasonable use, there would be a ceremonial drag and ditch in which all members of the squad were expected to participate. Dana had also sneaked in here once or twice on her own, so she could get extra mecha practice, away from the kind but mocking eyes of her friends and or the other squaddies. There had been no terraforming here, nothing to disguise the surface of the moon as anything but what it was, a pitted, rocky landscape that looked like death. Dana liked it out here better than within the proper dome of Luna Palais. It felt more honest somehow, more moon. She had not thought about the fact that as a former space dock, the dome must be fully functional. Up ahead of her, past a heap of severed steel heads and giant armour, 
Conrad stopped in a recently cleared patch of ground. He stood in the flickering pool of light from a neon beacon, swaying with exhaustion. The light caught the occasional movement that should belong to a person, despite whatever shielding Conrad's invisible companion was using. Dana hid in the shadows of a disused hangar. Guilt stung her as she caught a glimpse of despair on Conrad's face. Did she have the right to spy on him because she had partly rescued him today? Dana was about to turn and leave when she heard a sound so familiar to her that she could not move her feet. The plexiglass above them shifted and rotated out in layers, allowing for a ship to descend. Dana caught her breath as she watched it come down. It wasn't just that it was a musket-class dart, which automatically made it beautiful in her eyes. A scrolling pattern of fleur-de-lis and sacred constellations tattooed its back fin, clear enough that Dana was able to identify the ship. It was the Morning Star. He belonged to Aramis. If Dana had learned anything from her time in Paris, it was the mus- that the musketeers had their own secrets, many secrets, and a history she did not share. Whatever covert assignation was happening here, Aramis was involved. And she'd said nothing about it, even when helping with the escape back on Paris. Humiliation burned through Dana as she stared at the ship. The pilot emerged first, wiping flight gel from the white blonde stubble of her scalp and stretching her legs. A musketeer, but not Aramis. This was Captain Tracy Dubois. Dana had seen more of that particular pilot than she should, thanks to a certain personal photo silk belonging to her friend. But they'd never met in person. Dubois wore a full musketeer uniform, but you'd have to be a long way away to mistake her soft pink face for Aramis's honey-brown tones. Captain Dubois spoke briefly to Conrad on the ground, and they shared a handshake of forearms gripping each other, colleague to colleague. She used greater deference in greeting Conrad's companion, the one that no one could see. Then she opened up the side hatch of her ship. Another woman stepped out, in a silver flight suit. Her hair was long and braided in loops. No longer purple, but a violent pink colour. Dana recognised her, if only by vid image and reputation. This was the exiled former minister of PR and Emerald Knight, the one called Chevreuse another of Aramis's lovers. Dana held her breath, waiting for her friend to emerge as part of this blatantly conspiratorial group. Instead, a different woman emerged from the ship, bronzed and beautiful, in a scarlet flight suit. The Duchess of Buckingham! She'd not been formally exiled from Luna Palais, but she was most definitely not supposed to be here. 
A conspiracy against the Crown? It had to be. Dana had helped Conrad set up this illicit gathering. She was in so much trouble already. Time to get out of here. Dana turned and ran across the pitted surface of the moon. In this charged, silent atmosphere, she could not help her feet scuffing the ground, and the noise of it sent echoes in all directions. Not fast enough to escape. She heard the heavier footsteps of pursuit and ran faster. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. Uh, you can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at TansyRR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.